Is your health suffering from nature deprivation? Why are doctors prescribing park prescriptions? Can nature exposure prevent the onset of chronic disease? I'm Bon Koo, the host of Design Lab, a show where we explore the question, how might we design healthier lives? Today's guest is Dr. Melissa Lem. She is a Vancouver family physician who also works in rural and northern communities within Canada, and she is an internationally recognized leader in the field of nature. Melissa is the director of PARX, which is Canada's National Nature Prescription Program and president-elect of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. Melissa is a widely published writer, climate change panelist on CBC Radio's Early Edition, and an in-house medical columnist for CBC TV Vancouver. She's also a clinical assistant professor at the University of British Columbia. Before we dive into our conversation with Melissa, please support the Design Lab podcast. You can do this in three ways. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, and there's actually a way that you can leave us a review there. We read each one. Please do that. On the podcast show notes, there's a link to sign up for our newsletter that's curated by our producer, Rob Puglisi. And tell someone about the podcast, share about it on social media, tell someone in person. Now, here's my conversation with Dr. Melissa Lim. Dr. Melissa Lem, welcome to Design Lab. I am so excited to speak on your research, your work today. I've been looking forward for this interview for a while. Thanks, Dr. Ku. It's it's great to be here and to have this attention from your amazing podcast. Cool. And so you are an expert in nature prescriptions. I never learned about nature prescriptions as a medical student. I know I'm a little bit old, but what is a nature prescription? Bon, I didn't learn about nature prescriptions in medical school either, you know, and, you know, I only went through medical school. Oh, I'm trying to think. Well, actually, 2020 20 to 15 years ago now, but a nature prescription happens when a licensed healthcare professional, so that could be a doctor or a nurse or a physiotherapist or a psychologist, writes down a formal recommendation on a standardized nature prescription pad or file that their patients spend time in nature. So there is a dose. The dose is that we have that's recommended is at least two hours each week and at least 20 minutes each time. And then it's also a a patient-centered process because the prescriber goes through the patient's abilities and interests and what nature might be in their environment and then comes up with a personalized nature prescription plan for them, their outdoor activity plan that reduces their barriers to nature access, whether it's psychological or actual kind of physical barriers in terms of green space in their environments or or time, for example, and then encourages them to spend time in nature to improve their health. Mm, I love that. And why does it need to take form of a like actual prescription? Is that more powerful than just saying, hey, you should just go in nature for a couple hours a week? Absolutely. So we can take some of this evidence from the exercise prescription literature that shows that when practitioners write something down and prescribe it, it increases patients' motivation to carry out that advice. Mm. And so that's why we write it down. It it formalizes it. It elevates the idea of spending time in nature as being as important as medication. And in our program, 
We often say that we want nature to be the fourth pillar of health when it comes to lifestyle interventions, just as important as a healthy diet, as exercise, as adequate high quality sleep, at making sure that we stay healthy. It's It should be just as important, I would say, mm. as, as any of those things that we traditionally counsel our patients about. Mm. Is there evidence that nature exposure is more powerful than taking a pill for certain types of diseases? That is a great question. I don't know that there have been head-to-head trials or studies looking at nature versus medication when it comes to disease outcomes. But I think for mild cases of disease, you know, for hypertension that's just starting, Mm. where blood pressure isn't sky high, or prediabetes, or for example, mild depression, where, you know, where you're not completely non-functional and unable to leave your home, for example, I think it can go a long way towards making sure that people don't advance to those more serious cases of disease. And we know that's the same again with other lifestyle interventions is that a healthy lifestyle is the foundation of preventative medicine. We know Mm. that people who do all those healthy things end up in hospitals less often. They visit their doctors less often. They develop fewer of those chronic diseases, whether they be physical or, or mental health issues. And so again, that would be really fascinating, I think, to see a head to head trial of a nature prescription versus medication. But again, once you're getting to the point where you start to need medication, you know, I don't know that the evidence is there yet, but certainly Mm. in mild early stages, I think there is a lot of evidence showing that it can help. Got it. So you're not saying that if you have like advanced diabetes requiring like insulin and your sugars are very hard to control that you should like not take insulin and go to the park, but rather (laughs) if you're kind of like borderline and if you're susceptible to maybe developing diabetes that exposure to nature can be very powerful in preventing the onset of diabetes. That's right. And there was a really cool study that looked at people with diabetes and they measured their sugar levels before and after a walk in a park. And Mm. they had them go on a a shorter distance and a longer distance. And what they found was that, in fact, the magnitude of their glucose drop was the same after the short walk and the longer walk. So it actually looks like it was exposure to nature itself, which we know can reduce stress and by extension, reduce cortisol levels and reduce overall glucose levels. It was actually the nature exposure as opposed to the exercise that seemed to be beneficial for their sugar levels. There's so much interesting research out there. And I think we're just getting started because more and more people are getting interested in these questions Mm -hmm. as to how nature is effective for different health outcomes. I want to continue on that thread and get back to some of these like blood level tests. Because I think a lot about exercise and how we could get the most bang for our buck with exercise. For example, I, I've always been drawn to sports at in the outdoors. I used to rock climb a lot. I'm a big mountain biker. I'm a big surfer. I surfed yesterday, in fact, for like four hours in the cold New Jersey waters. And and I always thought it was like, oh, I get such an endorphin rush from these sports. But as I'm growing older, I'm thinking, I wonder how much of it is because I'm in, I'm outside and I'm exposed to nature because I actually hate working at working out in gyms. You and me both. I just hate it. Like, I just don't like it. (laughs) Because then I was like thinking, well, it's because I just like like these outdoor sports, like surfing and mountain biking. But maybe there is that aspect of exercising, at being exposed outside while doing it. 
And there is research behind that. So I'll tell what? you a few of the studies. Really? I know told there is. Tell me. So Whoa. I know. <laughs> and so I think, you know, just as a disclaimer, I think different people have different levels of sensitivity to their environments that mm-hmm. makes them crave nature versus being fine to exercise and spend time in urban urban settings. But for example, there was this really neat study that looked at people exercising on a treadmill. And they showed them photos of urban scenes and also photos of nature scenes. And they found that after looking at the photos of nature scenes, in fact, their blood pressure dropped more significantly. Their self-esteem actually rose, even though they were doing the same kind of exercise on a treadmill in the same sort of condition. So there was something about looking at nature that, in fact, improved their health outcomes. Something else I want to point out is that there is research showing that people who begin exercise routines that involve outdoor nature, involve spending time outside, are more motivated to continue those exercise routines than people who begin indoor exercise, like in a gym, for example, which you and I both don't like. Mm. So there is emerging evidence, again, showing that being outside, it supercharges the effects of exercise. It makes us more willing to continue it and more motivated to go outside more. And I think it's, think about being in the ocean yesterday, like you were, think about being on the side of a mountain, there's something about the awe that it generates. There's something about this connection, I think, too, to the natural world that we feel when we're outside that mm-hmm. you can't quite get when you're inside in a gym. I mean, again, I think gyms are great for people who like them, yeah, but there's a yeah. lot of activity happening and it seems like no one's going anywhere. <laughs> like, what's happening in here? <laughs> it's like these rats on a treadmill or something. And again, you know, any kind of exercise is good, but I just feel like I'm getting more out of it. I'm accomplishing something when I spend time outside. And this was even before I knew about the research-backed benefits of nature. I just felt so much better when I was outdoors. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this just seems common sense, but I love that there is a growing body of research specifically dedicated to this because I feel like it gives us more weight as physicians to recommend some of these outdoor or nature interventions. I think that evidence piece is really important because we're both doctors. We both are supposed to practice evidence-based medicine, and I think we do our best to do that. And that was something really important for our program is that the claims that we made, the recommendations that we made, the handouts that we, we gave people were based in evidence and cited research because I know that physicians would not adopt it on a wide scale if they didn't know that what they were recommending, what they were prescribing was backed up by evidence. So I think that's key actually to to how our initiative has been able to spread so far within our healthcare system here in Canada. For example, we launched Nature Prescriptions with the BC Parks Foundation, our PARX program in November, 2020. And after less than two years after launch, we have gathered over 10,000 regulated health professionals in Canada signed up to prescribe nature through our program. And I know numbers of physicians vary in the U.S., but in Canada, that includes over 5% of all practicing physicians in the country. And actually within, I know it's, it's stunning, you know, for a new practice innovation to think within two years, 5% of docs in the country are using it. In my own province, in fact, we just had this great experience helping to judge the BC NBA games. So a whole bunch of business students from across the the province gathered to, to compete and they used our initiative as, as one of their case studies. And it's funny, we hadn't crunched this data, but they revealed to us that over 14% of all doctors in my province of BC have registered for this and are prescribing nature. So it kind of blows my mind, in fact, how successfully we have been able to socialize 
nature prescribing within physicians within the healthcare system in such a short time. That's remarkable. And for listeners who may not know, even if there's evidence behind an intervention, doctors are very slow to adopt it. It just takes years and years. Like for example, hand washing. It took years and years for us to implement <laughs> hand washing to prevent hospital acquired infections. And so that behavior change is, is remarkable. Do you see this being taught our medical students or residents and training being exposed to this? Well, and it's already happening on a smaller scale. So we have been really lucky to have champions in every province that have launched nature prescriptions across Canada. And a lot of those include medical students, medical learners. But in fact, I feel like you've been spying on us or something. But anyway, <laughs> this, the Canadian <laughs> Medical Association actually just released its new environmentally sustainable healthcare in Canada policy. And in fact, they included in their calls to action under the environmental stewardship section that medical learners across the country learn how to prescribe nature and also that physicians incorporate nature prescriptions into their practices. So now that we have this body that represents almost every physician in Canada supporting the concept behind the work that we do, I think it just provides this authority that we can use to now approach medical schools across the country and in a more formal way, say the Canadian Medical Association recommends it here are our top tips here, you know, incorporate it into your, into your lifestyle lectures or in your environmental sustainability lectures or whatever it may be. And I, it's a huge step. And we're so happy that that happened recently. That is amazing. So routinely when you're interviewing patients during a visit, when they see you, you know, doctors take a medical history, you know, do you have diabetes, high blood pressure? We also take a social history, you know, how much do you smoke, how much do you drink? And you also take a nature history. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So it's just a simple question you can ask them, which is how much time do you spend outside? And it often follows after the exercise question, you know, because diet and sleep usually you're, well, I mean, you could eat food outside, but usually <laughs> you're not sleeping outdoors um, unless you're camping or something. But anyway, I'll ask them how much they exercise. And then I ask them how much time do you spend outside? And then the nice thing, I guess, about where I live and, and practice, which is in Kitsilano, which is in Vancouver, is that a lot of my patients already spend a lot of time outside, just the Holy, neighborhood in which I work. Yeah. I've been to Vancouver. I You all seem to do so much outdoor activities all the time. <laughs> I know. It's great. So people often ask me, oh, when's the last patient you prescribed nature to or whatever? And I say, <laughs> I ask people all the time. And in fact, a lot of them already spend time outside. So my colleagues, though, don't all of them, you know, are 10,000 prescribers across Canada, we don't all necessarily live in areas of the city or communities where there is a lot of nature or where it's embedded in the culture. And so I think that's where it's most useful is when patients already aren't spending a lot of time outside, having that physician or nurse or other trusted healthcare professional make that recommendation and, and ask them like it's just as important as those other lifestyle factors makes it a really powerful message, I think. And what do you mean by nature? So if you're in a big city like New York City, do you have to go to like a national park to get exposed to nature? What's interesting about the research is it shows us that you can see those benefits of nature when you feel like you've had a meaningful experience in it. So it doesn't have to be in the backwoods. It doesn't have to be in a national park. It doesn't have to be up on the side of a mountain or by the ocean. If you feel like you've had a nature experience in your backyard garden, for example, if you're lucky enough to have a backyard 
or in your neighborhood park, then that's good enough. So I think that's really fascinating yeah. is that our brains have a lot of control over the benefits that we get from nature. And I'm learning so much because again, I never uh, learned about this at all in, in my medical training years ago. And and you talk about cortisol levels. Are there any other like biomarkers or imaging evidence of nature exposure? Because I find that fascinating when we can actually measure a correlation with an intervention. For sure. And this is a really interesting emerging area in the nature and health movement. And in fact, it's a few decades old. So this body of research, hundreds of studies, goes back at least four decades. And some of the earliest studies were done by one of the pioneers of the naturist medicine movement, Dr. Roger Ulrich. And he did a lot of his experiments on undergraduate students. So he used physiological markers through electromyography, skin conductance, for example, to measure their stress response after watching a stressful video. And then he showed them nature scenes afterwards and then measured their physiologic markers and, and how they recovered. And they found that showing these students nature scenes, in fact, helps them recover, recover faster and more completely. Some of his research also showed higher alpha wave activity when people looked at vegetation-rich scenes compared to mm. urban scenes, which shows that you're in a state of relaxed wakefulness and lower anxiety. And then this earlier work that's decades old has also been supported by functional MRI studies. And for people who don't know what those are, we use fMRIs to, to see how different parts of the brain are functioning and figure out which ones are critical to mm. functions like speaking or moving. And they use this to plan for surgery, for example, or radiation therapy of the brain. So these fMRI studies have showed really interesting findings. So there was a recent study from Korea where participants were shown either rural scenes or urban built scenes for, for a couple minutes. And then after a 30-second rest, showed that when they were shown photos of urban scenes, the blood flow and brain activity in the amygdala or the area of the brain linked to impulsivity and anxiety increased. But the nature scenes actually increased activity in the anterior cingulate and insula, which are linked to increased empathy and altruism. And then if you break it down further, mm. I know we're getting into the weeds here with brain physiology. I love it because I love the mechanism, the biological mechanism. It's great. Yeah. So- the anterior cingulate is actually linked with emotional stability and a positive mental outlook. And in the insula, activity is associated with love. So for example, when you show people photos of loved ones, their insula activity increases. So calm and optimism and love, these all seem to be triggered when we even just look at photos of nature. So it's it's really fascinating how research in this area is emerging. I love that. I was watching, I think, there's an online lecture that you were giving and there's a word cloud exercise that you did of when you ask people about nature, what word comes to their mind? And mine was like relaxing. And then you show the word cloud. I was like relaxing pop up. And, <laughs> you know, I think that it's a common effect that nature has on humans because I think probably our design was to be outdoors and not indoors. That's right. We have evolved in terms of our physical infrastructure and in the cities we live in faster than our brains have. Our brains crave being in areas of high biodiversity because that's an evolutionary benefit. So when you think about it, when you're in an area with lots of trees, lots of animals, wildlife, birdsong, water sources, 
this is everything that we need to survive. And mm. hard concrete and glass, traffic, cars, that that does not send a survival signal to our brains, essentially. So we have it hardwired into our brains to prefer high biodiversity areas because it helped earlier humans survive and they passed on these nature-loving genes to future generations. So when you look at a nature scene, when you're immersed in nature, it your brain quiets down. Your brain says, this is a good place for me to be. This is a good place for me and my family and my children, future generations to be, because mm. we can live here. We can be comfortable and rear future generations here. I'm curious to know how you got into this type of practice as a physician. You are Canadian. And is there something in your in your background that led you to go down this path, which is just such a fascinating path? You know, what's interesting is nature when I was younger really helped me deal with problems that I was having on the school ground and in the community. So the interesting thing is my the reason was not great. The reason why I found so much solace in nature initially, but but it's turned into something wonderful decades later. So when I was young, I grew up in Toronto, in a suburb of Toronto, and it was a majority white neighborhood. You know, there were very few families who looked like us in the school, and other kids made it clear that we were different. I remember being teased on the school ground, my background being pointed out, even mm. though I was born in Toronto, just like everyone else, spoke yeah. perfect English, <laughs> was always at the top of my class, you know, it's not like I was much different from them, but just visually I was different. And in some ways also the the values that my family held, because my parents immigrated to Canada in the 1950s from mainland China, they were a bit different. They did still hold some of those traditional values, which came mm. across in, I guess, how I interacted with my classmates, for example, or the kinds of recreational activities or or family activities that we did. But anyway, I felt excluded a lot and was experienced racism, unfortunately. And mm. nature was my safe place. I remember walking down the sidewalk sometimes and even having racial slurs called out at me on the sidewalk and then running down the sidewalk to the park, disappearing into the ravine and just feeling like this is this is where I'm accepted. This is where I feel safe. And just thinking too about my father's traditional Chinese vegetable garden, where we grew all sorts of things that our neighbors weren't eating, <laughs> <laughs> which we didn't necessarily like at the time, but were, uh -huh. now that I look back, were incredibly healthy for us. Like, you know, garlic chives and bok choy and yeah. goji berries, which now everyone, you know, it's like a superfood. Uh -huh. <laughs> we're eating them all the time when we were kids. Anyway, but beside these Chinese vegetables were also North American type vegetables. You know, we grew cherry tomatoes. We grew zucchinis and all kinds of different things. So I think it was an, an interesting place for me to, to grow up and watch life emerge and also feel like I belonged. And then I just, I still remember our first family camping trip in Bruce Peninsula National Park, which is just a few hours north of Toronto and seeing a sky full of stars for the first time in, in my life. Because growing up in Toronto, you've got the glow from the city. You know, you could, you'd be lucky if you could see the moon sometimes. Yeah. But it was it just felt like this endless expanse and looking up past the trees, smelling the wildfire smoke, having spent a whole day outside with my family, I thought this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I think it was these early experiences in nature with my family, even by myself, that gave me the inspiration to work on this as an adult in terms of being a medical doctor and getting into this work. Again, I wasn't aware of this, so I didn't learn about it in medical school, but I remember my first job 
after I graduated was as a full service rural family doctor in Northern BC. And I did everything, you know, Mm. I ran the emergency room, took over babies in the middle of the night, worked in an under-resourced community, providing the best care that I could. And it was challenging work, but I, I loved it so much. And I think Looking back, knowing what I know now, it was because I was surrounded by nature. I had Mm. an immediate way to de-stress after a long shift or a long day of work because my my commute was basically a walk past the hospital garden, looking at mountains, looking Mm. at mist rising over the river, past the hospital garden where I could, you know, pick some berries and look at my row growing. It was just a great way to immediately self-medicate, I guess, after, after stressful shifts. But then moving back to Toronto, where I was born, we moved essentially to downtown Toronto and my view was no longer bears and mountains and trees. (laughs) It was suddenly concrete and glass with this tiny little square of sky that I think unfortunately is now even covered up because there's been more development in in that area. And I felt so stressed despite the work being much, much objectively easier. And that led me to think one day as I was standing in front of that window, feeling stressed out, listening and looking at all the bustle below to think, I think I'm missing nature. And so I, you know, sat down, did a literature review, found this massive body of evidence that I had no idea about that, again, I hadn't learned anywhere or heard anyone talking about. And I thought, do you know what? This is evidence-based. I need to make sure my colleagues know about this. Decision makers need to know about this. My patients need to know about this. And that just kind of snowballed over the last decade or so with meeting the BC Parks Foundation, launching Nature Prescriptions, and and becoming a really strong advocate for this work. I feel so grateful that for those early experiences, even though they were painful, you know, it's because they set me up for the work that I do now. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, I was reflecting upon my own life and had some similar experiences, even though I was born in the Chicago area, my parents immigrated from Korea, everyone all the time would ask me, you know, where I'm really from. And I experienced a lot of racism growing up being called Ching Chong and all the slurs. And and I remember just spending a lot of time outdoors, even though we were in urban areas primarily, and a lot of time in the woods and even just running around in a track that was outdoors and found a lot of solace in that. And I always thought it was just because like, oh, this is endorphins because I'm being physically active, but I think it was a little bit more than that. Just reflecting upon what you were saying, that exposure to nature had provided a little bit of solace for me. So thanks for sharing that story because I was reflecting on my own life. I was like, oh, that I, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting how these experiences can drive us to do the work that we do. I know you're really big into designing healthier lifestyles, better design in healthcare. And imagine if every child who felt isolated, who experienced racism, had the opportunity to go into a beautiful biodiverse Mm. park, had the opportunity to run outside on a track, you know, if they wanted to, surrounded by trees, had access to food gardens where they could literally plant a sense of belonging to the ground. I think we'd have a healthier population if, if that were available. My final two questions are, can you recommend a book for our listeners that you're currently reading or one of your favorites from the past? And if one of them were to visit you, where would you take them to eat? That's a great question. One of the very first books I read around the concept of nature and health was Richard Louv's Last Child in the Woods. And it essentially speaks to lack of nature access as he calls it nature deficit disorder. So it's not a formal medical diagnosis, but a lot of the different issues, health issues that children have 
can be made better by nature time and could in fact possibly be prevented by nature time. So I really enjoyed that that book and would recommend that people read that. What I'm reading right now is really boring and awful, but it's Robert's Rules of Order newly revised in brief. <laughs> because <laughs> I know because I'm about to become president of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment soon. And uh-huh. so I want to be a good chairperson of meetings. So anyway, that's what I'm actually reading now, which sounds so nerdy and boring. In terms of the restaurant that I would recommend, there are so many great ones in Vancouver. Are you were known as a foodie place? Yeah. But if you want to combine good food and nature, I would recommend the Boathouse Restaurant on Kitts Beach, Kitsilano Beach. It has this sweeping view of the ocean. You can see beautiful sunsets from it, and they have good food that's based on local and sustainable seafood and produce. So I would recommend that. I love it. Thanks for those recommendations. And for the listening audience, if your doctor asks you about your exposure to nature, the next time you're at the office, you'll have Dr. Melissa Lem to thank for that. So thank you for being on the show for your work and your research and advocacy. Honored to chat with you. Thanks, Bon. Likewise, I really enjoyed our conversation. That was an inspiring conversation. I hope we are all getting our exposure to nature. You can follow Melissa on Twitter at M-E-L-I-S-S-A underscore L-E-M. On Instagram at D-R-M-E-L-I-S-S-A-L-E-M. And reach out to me on Twitter. I can be found at B-O-N-K-U on Instagram at D-R-B-O-N-K-U. Design Lab is produced by Rob Puglisi. Editing by Fernando K. Rose. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston and the cover design by Eden Liu. See you next week.